Hi, and welcome to the 1020. My name is Krista. And my name is Leila. And today we'll be interviewing Dr. Marwan Prady, who is the Anthony Shadid Chair in Global Media, Politics and Culture, and Founding Director of the Center for Advanced Research in Global Communications at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program, Dr. Prady. Thank you for inviting me to be here with you. We are very glad to have you. So to start off our episode today, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the book you published in 2016 titled The Naked Blogger of Cairo, Creative Insurgency in the Arab World, where you described how Arabs rebel against authority by using their bodies as an instrument of expression, as well as humor. So could you tell us a little bit more about your work there? Yeah, so The Naked Blogger of Cairo did not start um, um, with, with the idea of the body being central to protest. Uh, what happened is I spend, um, I was spending the 2011-2012 um, year, the year um, right after the uprising started. Um, I was in Lebanon. I was at the American University of Beirut. I had a visiting chair there. And the events had started, and I was working on a book on music videos um, and sort of the social political impact of music videos, which was very hot um, in the Arab world at the time. Um, and then I started seeing all the stories that we've all read about um, the uprisings, about the young activists, about the role of social media. And I had started collecting all kinds of information. Um, and at some point, I'm like, no, you know, I need to really be more systematic um, um, about this. And I started gathering a lot of data. Um, I was in Beirut where a lot of the um, Syrian activists who had to leave Syria ended up. So I heard a lot of stories. I talked to a lot of people. Um, then I went to Egypt. I spent some time in Egypt. And there I had a very interesting um, experience. So if you go uh, to Tahrir Square, which was the epicenter of, of the uh, protests in, in Egypt, um, one of the first thing you notice is that um, different people are doing different things. So, so, so this notion of the protesters as a uniform mass is not true. Um, for example, um, a lot of the protesters I talked to did not have smartphones. And these were the people who were supposed to be posting videos online, on Facebook, and tweeting, and all that. Many of them did not have smartphones. I talked to several people who had the old um, flip phones, uh, but did not have an operating SIM card because they could not afford it. And so the notion that everybody was digitally equipped went out the window. Then what I discovered, so at the edge of Tahrir Square, on, on a bridge called Qasr Nil, which, which connects Tahrir Square to, um, to uh, uh, another part of Cairo across the Nile, um, is um, this is where the headquarters of the Arab League are. And there were a tent outside with Syrian and Yemeni activists and uh, we went there, we started talking. I was with some European friends, some journalists, some academics. And so they gave us a, a quote-unquote guide um, at the Yemeni tent, and he started explaining to us in English. Um, and then at some point, I said a word, and they discovered that I actually spoke Arabic. And then they, another person started talking to me, and um, the story was had a different twist to it. And so what I realized very quickly, which is something, of course, you know, I sort of suspected, was that these activists were not there waiting for us to tell their stories. They were very actively shaping the story. They're activists. They have political goals. And so with these two um, recognitions, I started collecting. You know, I have uh, thousands of pictures of graffiti. I, I, I talked to people. I, I collected a lot of digital video, particularly the satire. 
Um, and then um, there were a few events where um, there were demonstrations in Syria when um, the government accused the demonstrators of carrying weapons. And so demonstrators took their shirts off to say, look, this is my naked body. I'm not hiding anything, right? So the body became a symbol of authenticity. Then there was in Zamalek, in a neighborhood in Cairo, there was a, a, a very famous stencil graffito of a TV, an old TV set, and Pinocchio, and his nose grew so big that it broke the screen. <laughs> and what, what that was saying basically is that state television was lying, right? So, but what all these had in common were the human body. And then, of course, the, the big event that ended up being the title of the book uh, was Alia al-Mahdi, who was actually a communication student at the American University of Cairo, who created a blog called A Rebel's Diary, posted a nude picture of herself, um, full frontal nude. She was wearing ballerina flats, and she had a flower in her hair, which is a bit like the feminine um, um, activists, and then wrote a political message. And so what I, what I concluded after a couple of years of work um, so I collected all this, went back to my office, like, what does this all have in common? It's the human body, right? And so that's when the book, the idea started taking shape. And what I argue in the book, there are two kinds of protests using the body. There's one that's radical. Uh, self-immolation is the key example uh, where the body itself is the collateral. You pay the ultimate sacrifice to score a very important uh, political point. And the other one is more gradual, and that's where political humor comes in, right? Which is you paint the dictators in a way where that makes them look grotesque, you know, where the nose is too big, where things of that sort. Or you, um, one of the things um, um, in Egypt, for example, was in some demonstrations the police started shooting on people's eyes. So the eye became a very important symbol of, of the revolution. And so body parts became, uh, and then of course the Muslim Brotherhood, they had their famous demonstration um, in, in, in uh, the Rabia al-Adawiyah square, and their big sign was the hand, right? So the body, it was very clear to me that the body was central to these. And that allowed me to do something more fundamental than focusing on on the digital itself or any kind of media by arguing that the body is the fundamental medium. It's the indispensable medium. It's what you have when you've lost everything. If your phone b falls on the ground and breaks, if your phone runs out of battery, if there's no electrical power for your laptop, you still have your body and you will express yourself using the body. That's the fundamental idea of the book. Mm -hmm. And talking about protests, uh, we thought we would ask you about uh, the event taking place right now in Algeria. So the, the people have been out in the street protesting uh, the candidacy of, of Bouteflika for yeah. fifth mandate. Um, and so we read this article where they explain how first it's very uh, peaceful. So that's one of the main characteristics yes. of the movement. And the second one is that they use a lot of humor, uh, like you said. Uh, first, because they have slogans using uh, popular culture references yes. such as Harry Potter and uh, Dora the Explorer uh, and stuff like that, but also pranks. So there was a call uh, on Facebook uh, asking people to call the hospital in Geneva uh, to ask how Bouteflika was doing. And they received, I think, thousands of calls <laughs> of Algerians just asking them that. And so, yeah, we, we, we would like to hear your analysis about what's happened there. Yeah, so, you know, what's happening in Algeria is very, very interesting, particularly because uh, people have long said, as, as we talked earlier, that the Algerians will never rebel because they're still traumatized by the quote-unquote civil war um, when the military canceled elections in the early 90s 
and there was an Islamist insurrection and about a quarter million or 200,000 people died. Um, and I think there there's a problem because so many Arab dictators have said it's either me or the extremists, right? And I think people have learned from the experiences of, of, of other countries in the Arab uprising that it's not necessarily the case, particularly the Tunisians. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Tunisians... At first, they had a Marxist president and an Islamist prime minister after the revolution, right? And so that false dichotomy, I think, has fallen. And, of course, people have seen what happened in other countries, so they're not fools. That's number one. Number two, um, it's truly amazing that a man that old, mm-hmm. who's already served as president, basically he's the only president that um, any Algerian who's like under 30 knows, who is in a hospital bed, who has been in a hospital bed in, 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 Gene- in Geneva for, what, two years, three years now, mm-hmm. right? Um, who, when asked, when, when his official spokesperson was asked about him, all he could say is, we certify that he's still alive. Mm-hmm. So the body still has a pulse. Mm-hmm. Uh, has the audacity to say, I want to run the country mm-hmm. for several more years. Mm-hmm. And I think this is when uh, Algerians, like like other people in the region, they're not stupid. They see, they, they see for what this is. It's an audacious, absolutely not acceptable move, mm-hmm. right? And so then what do you do? Well, there's humor, right? One of them is um, the name that he's been going uh, by. So they call him Le Cadre or The Frame because all they see of him is his official portrait in a frame. He hasn't appeared physically, probably because if he were to appear, everybody knows that he's way too sick to govern, mm-hmm. right? And so, but here's the importance of what I learned in the, in the, in the Naked Blogger, which is the symbolism of the body's leader, uh, of uh, the symbolism of the leader's body, mm-hmm. right? The symbolism of the leader's body is very important because what, what these leaders do is they project an impression of strength. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, he comes from the military, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, he's facing a dilemma now which is the only images that can be used to project strength are old images. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's explained the prank because they were not calling the Geneva hospital with the hope of getting an answer mm-hmm. because the hospital has, you know, there are privacy rules. He's a head of state. He's an important customer, patient. They're not going to tell anybody, right? But the prank is we're on to you. We know that you're, if you're alive, you're barely alive. And the fact that you have the audacity to say you want to run the country for a few more years, so we're exposing that. Mm-hmm. Then you have all the references to popular culture. What do these do? You know, these help people who may not be very political get the message, right? So in the Arab Spring, we saw a lot of this. You know, whether it's Titanic or Top, Top Gun or, um, you know, all kinds of, of international popular culture that other people, particularly young people, know about. And of course, Algerians understood those messages that came out from Egypt, from Syria, from right. So now there's a repertoire for that mm-hmm. type of humor that every new and repertoires of contention are very important because they they, they give you new tools uh, for this. Um, and so I'm not surprised um, that that they're rebelling um, because I think the government overreached. I mean, we still know that um, there are some military figures. There's his brother. There's um, some business people. They are le pouvoir, right? Mm-hmm. They are the power running the country. They are the, the state, the deep state, mm-hmm. so to speak. And people have had enough of that. And so um, it's going to be interesting. I know that they filed his, his representative, 
filed the paperwork for candidacy. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, was it? Or mm-hmm. two days ago? So they seem to mean business. But I don't think the people gonna, are going are gonna to accept it this time. Mm-hmm. And so are you optimistic about the outcome? Because I talked with a few Algerians, and somehow, even with everything that happened yeah. in the Middle East recently, they are still very optimistic about the chances of a transition towards democracy, which yes. I, I found surprising, uh, considering... Look, when you're dealing with dictatorship for so long, mm-hmm. when, you know, so for a while... Um, the way they managed popular discontent is, you know, oil prices and gas prices were high. Um, so the government of Algeria had a lot of money. And when you can spend money, sometimes you can take care of a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Then the price of, 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 of hydrocarbons tanked, mm-hmm. right? And so they can no longer buy acquiescence. Um, I, I'm, I am always optimistic. You know, again, if you live under an authoritarian government where you can't um, say what you want to say where you cannot reach your full potential as a human being because it threatens those who are in power, um, you are doomed to be optimistic, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the Syrian playwright Sadallah uh, uh, Wanu said, you know, we are doomed to be hopeful. We are doomed to hope. We are condemned to be hopeful because there's nothing else, mm-hmm. right? And human beings, by definition, um, are political creatures. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a kind of, of, um, of will that I have seen. You know, I've, I've watched some of the videos that are circulating on social media. I've followed it quite a bit. And it does feel like the first couple of weeks of Tunisia or Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, Tunisia and Egypt went two very different routes. In Egypt, now you have a dictatorship that's worse than what was before the Egyptian revolution. In Tunisia, it is better, even if it's only slightly better, right? Um, but, but Tunisia is closer to Algeria. And you know, so things can work out. And people don't believe this dichotomy that it's either this old, nearly dead man um, or extremists. Mm-hmm. They know that there are alternatives. Yeah, they don't believe that, yeah? I, I, I thought about uh, using humor in a way, uh, yes. protesting with popular uh, culture reference. Uh, could, could it also be seen as a way to to have an international audience uh, yes. feeling like, mm. oh, they are like me, and so right. I understand their cause, and, and I'm interested yes. in what's happening there. Mm. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right that uh, protest now is no longer just local. Mm. Um, of course, the physical act of defying authorities is always local. It's always connected to a, a space and a time. Um, but very clearly, um, and we've seen it in, you know, in, 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 in Syria, in Tunisia, where... The combination of humor and in some cases, for example, you see you saw a lot of videos in Arabic. I haven't seen any sort of organized professional cultural production out of um, the Algerian protests yet. But I know this is coming yeah. from from see, from the experience of looking at other countries where you have uh, if the uh, if the lyrics are in Arabic, you will have transliteration into English, sometimes English and French. Um, very clearly why because you reach an international audience that way and an international audience does a couple of things first of all it creates this commonality it creates a solidarity right um you have you know people from from egypt uh, send a pizza to people in madison wisconsin who were protesting their governor's mm-hmm. policies right so there are these interesting transnational solidarities that that can occur but it's also a pressure point on the regime right mm-hmm. because one of the things and I wrote uh, quite a bit about this in, in, in my book on reality TV, which was b- before the Naked Blogger of Cairo. One of the things that Arab leaders and dictators everywhere, I think, care the most about is what they call national reputation, which is really their reputation, right? And so the, the, 
having an international audience to the protest means, number one, that there is this transnational solidarity, but also, number two, that the government will not dare use violence in the same way, right? There is a cost now to shooting somebody while somebody's taking a video that's going to get posted somewhere within two minutes and that you're going to see the next day on the BBC or on CNN, mm-hmm. right? So there's a cost to that. So, so in that sense, humor, um, when you're laughing, you let down your guard. So humor facilitates this kind of uh, human-to-human understanding in ways that regular political messaging doesn't. Uh, and you can always say it was just a joke, mm-hmm. right? So you could always backpedal. But I think as a result, humor is, very, is a very important tool, and they've recognized it. And people say, oh, you know, the Egyptians are famous for being so funny, not the Algerians or not the Syrians. Well, I've seen some hilarious, uh, tragic, but also hilarious things, um, attacks on Assad, attacks on, on, on Putin, attacks on, on American leaders coming out of Syria. I've seen hilarious things coming out of Tunisia, Yemen, Bahrain, right? I don't think the Algerians are less funny than any of those. You just need a crisis to activate that creativity, and I think that's what's going on. Yeah, so when looking at leaders' national reputation, yeah. this is not an issue, I think, only in the Middle East as a region or even with dictatorships. But um, one example that comes back to the democratic U.S., I think of, I mean, FDR and his the visual representation of his body and how yes. he wouldn't be photographed unless he yeah. was standing. And, like, today we don't really have the opportunity to hide these things, so you lock yourself up in a hospital as a, yeah. as a leader of Algeria to avoid these moments Absolutely. of press. Yeah. But it's not something that's, um, I think strictly tied to yeah. this region or, or even a type of leadership. It's more about a projection of power. Absolutely. And, you know, and this is, so, so this notion of, uh, um, there's a, a, a very famous author uh, by the name of Urs Kantorovich who wrote this book um, um, about basically the, the, the king's two bodies. Right. Oh, and yes. he right. He talks about this as as uh, a variety of doctrines that evolved religious doctrines mm. that evolved in Europe, in medieval Europe, um, about how central the king's body is, because the king's body has two elements or two bodies. One is the body that you and I have that gets sick and dies. Mm. But one is the body of the nation mm. is the eternal body. Mm. And that's why you say that the king is dead. Long live the king, right. because the king really never died. The biological body dies, but the corpus mysticum, the sort of political religious body, never dies, right? So, so I was reading the book, and then in one footnote, he mentioned Al-Farabi. And Al-Farabi was, um, you know, one of the sort of Islamic golden age thinkers. And he wrote a book called The Virtuous City, where he compared the city to a human body. And the leader is the head, which is exactly what Kantorovich was talking about. And, you know, it depends on the variation, whether it's the French or the English or, or um, um, any of the others where, you know, um, in, in, in the English tradition, some people argue the parliament is like the, is like the heart mm-hmm. and the king is like the head. Al-Farabi said that the heart is the king organ, is the, is the leading organ, right? And, of course, some people said, of course, because the Muslims and the Arabs are emotional. So, so mm-hmm. you can, like, never get away with, you know, from stupid interpretations. Yeah. But this is central both to um, the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. both in its sort of Catholic and Protestant uh, manifestations, as it is in anything that, we, that, that is Muslim, right? So it's really not, it started as a religious tradition, uh, but leaders everywhere. I mean, in any democracy, in most democracies, shall we say, you see either a picture of the queen, the king, or the president, or the prime minister all over the place. The head of state 
is has the the you know has the the, the political corpus mm. which is symbolic of the nation symbolic of sovereignty symbolic in some cases of the connection to god to the divine uh, so you're absolutely right that this is not um, this is not particular to dictatorships mm. interesting mm. new perspective on how to look at what's happening yeah. in movements and especially with the body as the center uh, piece of your of your analysis yes and you know, and I'm not the only one. I mean, there are lots of people who have written um, about the body. Um, some people find it um, every once in a while. You know, when we'll be talking about the book, um, they find it. You know, why, why, why did you focus on the body? Well, and my answer is always, this is where my data took me. And then sometimes um, some other people would say, well, why, why are you focused on like women's naked bodies? Because that's where my data took me. Mm -hmm. Because when this 19-year-old posted a picture um, of herself uh, naked, all chaos broke loose in Egyptian politics. Everybody, starting from the liberals, mm -hmm. had to say, she does not represent me. Mm -hmm. You know, why? So why are people so afraid of women's bodies in the public sphere? I mean, this we know this from the, from the French Revolution, right? Um, because they feel it's unruly, it's uncontrollable, because... Um, women's bodies have always been considered to be a political prize for men or uh, a source of reasoning or a catalyst for argument by men who are politicians, right? So, so, so it's used as an object. Once it wants to become a subject, it scares the, everybody, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, 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 what you, that's what happens with research. You go to um, places where you may not have intended to go, mm -hmm. but you can't ignore it. Do you have any other questions no, okay. at the moment? Great. Great. Really interesting yeah, conversation. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the program. We've really enjoyed having you here at the university and speaking with you here for the 1020. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Great it's insight into your work. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, great. And thank you for listening to the 1020.